Well, hey, it's no secret. Christmas items are hitting the shelves out there. Uh, if you've uh, been into any of the big stores, then one of my personal favorites, I know this is sort of weird for me to say, Hobby Lobby, but, um, you know, I knew probably about three weeks ago when I walked in to get something and I stumbled across these shelves, I thought, already? All right. Um, that, I, that was a personal feeling I had. And, and I may or may not have purchased a Christmas decoration. Okay, I did. Um, I, my mom and grandparents had one of these and I've always wanted one of those. It's just a little ceramic Christmas tree. And it's like, you know, it's just sort of sentimental and it's like, yeah, so I got one. I know it's too early to play Christmas music. Don't worry. I haven't gone over the edge yet. Some of you think I already have, but, and, and I may or may not have already watched a Christmas movie <laughs> or two, <laughs> uh, but listen, there are some great classic movies out there. I know I'm not yet I'm not yet ready for Rudolph or Elf or Christmas Story. That's coming. But you know, thanks to Lifetime and Hallmark, there's a lot of other good movies out there already hitting hitting the, the TV screen. But do you remember the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Uh, and some of you are like ooh, black and white. No, don't remember that. Um, if you've ever watched this, it is, is you know one of those Christmas traditions. Um, about George Bailey is played by Jim, James Stewart. And basically, he wishes he's never been born. So an, earth, uh, an angel is sent to earth on behalf uh, of George's wish to come true. And he realizes how many lives were impacted and had he not been here. And, and it's just really a, a, a good movie, a feel-good movie. It's, it's a classic, right? So you often hear at Christmas, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. And so I'm thinking about this, it's Christmas and it's a wonderful life, but then my mind snaps back to reality when I look around the world. And I really have to ask myself, is it really a wonderful life? I mean, with all that we deal with in today's world, and then with all the things that we face, I I really feel sometimes the, the problems around us pile up quicker than leaves falling in the woods. I mean, they just keep falling and falling and falling, and you're just walking through ankle-high, knee-high of leaves, and it's like, this is how I feel right now with all the problems going on in this world. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking about whether it's political or financial or health issues. I know some of you in this church, you know, you've dealt with one health issue after another. Some of you, like, you know, like, I don't even want to deal with this relationship issue anymore. I don't want to deal with this situation at work anymore. Oh, and then we got the, the whatever, it's politics. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, and the shelves in the stores, I mean, they're, they're going to be empty. And, oh, no, Christmas is not going to happen because they're, all the presents are on the, the containers and out at the sea. And, and then, oh, gas prices, I'm paying twice as much. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, is it really a wonderful world? Is it really a wonderful life that I'm living right now? And, and it, I guess we're supposed to, church, I guess we're supposed to panic. If you're not yet, maybe I just put you there, okay? Maybe you're supposed to feel a little anxious. I guess that's what we're supposed to do because, you know, hey, that's what news does. It sort of amps up everything around us, and all of a sudden we're in this panic mode. And we're like, my life isn't so much wonderful. My heart, my, my chest is sort of heavy right now. And whew, right? Well, how about today? How about today we just put on a little Christian attitude? How about today we just tell Satan what to do with his stuff and just tell him just that we're just going to flush it, right? It's like, Satan, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I, I refuse to join this world's pity party. 
As a believer in Jesus Christ, I know who's in charge, and I am okay. Can we, can we have a little Christian attitude this morning? I mean, sometimes I feel like as Christians, we're like, we're the, we're the sweet people. We're the loving people. Okay, Satan, if you want to just step on me like a doormat, you feel... How about as Christians, how about as Christ believers, we sort of throw our shoulders back and say, no, you know what? My Savior is victorious over death and sin and the devil. And how about I stop having this little pity party and start choosing a wonderful life. Are you okay with that if we do that, church? Okay, just checking with one of you. We're good. So the rest of you, just come along for the ride, okay? Because here's the thing. This world doesn't need more, and, and not to speak poorly or badly, of, of politicians and, and, and economics and, and new programs. That's all nice. But what we need is a new hope. What we need is a new strength. What we need is to be revived uh, through the breath of our Lord and Savior. This world needs God's people to start living with grit and an unconstrained godliness. The church needs to rise up and be the church as God intended and not give in to what's going on around us. Now, it may be hard out there. I get it. Okay? You all know that I get that. God however, does not want us to live in worry and fear and sorrow and depression. We may feel stressed out and, and our minds may not be thinking clearly right now because of everything that's sort of whirling around amid the craziness and the difficulties of this world. And, and that, you know, it's like, here's the thing. God has given you a sound mind, church. Did you know that? Sometimes it's like, I think I'm losing my mind. Listen, God gave you a sound mind. Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Timothy. It's a small book towards the back of the New Testament. We're going to be flipping around to a lot of scripture this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, during this time, Nero, he was, an, he was an evil ruler, and he was persecuting Christians left and right. I mean, cruel and unusual tortures and, and uh, dealings and, and, and getting rid of Christians. Uh, Timothy, during this time, was a pastor in the church of Ephesus. So as a pastor, he's probably a little worried about, is Nero going to come after me in my life, throw me into a den of lions, cover me in oil, stick me on a stick, and, and light me up in your garden as a torch? That's the kind of stuff that Nero did to Christians. I'm sure he had his little fear going on. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And one of the things he says in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 7, he says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, and timidity, but a power and love and self-discipline. See, Paul reminds Timothy that what comes from God and what doesn't come from God. See, if you're afraid, listen, church, if you're afraid, that's not from God. He doesn't give you a spirit of fear. He doesn't distribute that which is contrary to his nature. God is not fear. He's not going to give you that. Instead, God richly dispenses his power and his love. And the word up on the screen says self-discipline, but that word actually translated means a sound mind. In other words, it's like your mind has been rescued and revived and set free and is now safe and secure. In other words, God's Holy Spirit and his holy word are like a shield for your mind. Help you in those moments when you're confused or you think things are illogical or doesn't make sense or you have some crazy thoughts attacking your mind. God's word, God's Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, I'm shielding that because I've given you a sound mind. 
And when our minds are, are guarded by the word of God, here's the thing. We think differently. And when you think differently, you feel differently. A lot of times our emotions are out of whack because our thoughts are out of whack. And then what does that lead to? That leads to bad choices. Usually it starts in the mind, goes to our emotions, our feelings, and then goes into our actions. And we make bad choices. And God says, I've given you some mind. I'm putting a shield up to protect those thoughts that come your way. Understand this. The devil will do anything he can to wipe out your journey. If you are trying to pursue Christ right now, he will do all he can, that is Satan, to derail that journey. To, to infiltrate your mind and give you false thoughts. I mean, seriously, think about some of the questions we ask ourselves or, or we tell ourselves. Like, oh, you can't do this. No, you, you, you can't do this. This doesn't make any sense. Oh, you're not good enough. Everybody's going to laugh at you. Some of us sometimes have those kind of thoughts. I'm going to tell you right now, do you really think God puts those kind of thoughts in your mind? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Those are not from God. So be alert. Our spiritual enemy, who is Satan, is always trying to defeat us mentally. When we're confused or fearful, especially due to stressful situations, we need to get alone with God. We need to seek God, pull out his shield, pull out his word. And we need to sit down and sort of abide with him and spend some time with him and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. And then we say, we need to tell the enemy, Satan, you need to be quiet. You just need to be quiet. I want to hear my Jesus and declare by faith that your mind is safe and secure because it is. For God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline, a sound mind. Now, this is a season in which we really need to remember these truths. Because right now, we're heading into a big holiday season. It sort of starts off in the fall and ends right like around January 1, right? And we've got all these incredible big holidays that sort of mash up together. Like I said, you walk into a store right now, you have no idea what season it is because all the seasons that are being displayed right now, okay? I can get a mask, get a turkey, and get a tree all on one trip at one place. That's the way it is right now, okay? It's the way it's working. But here's the thing. As Halloween approaches, we, we, we sort of do this. We stoke ourselves with fear and gory movies and, and, and provoke one another to fear. Okay, that's at the beginning of the holiday season. At the bookend, the other end of the holiday season, is Christmas, in which we are trying to make everybody happy, make sure we've provided everything for everybody, make sure everybody gets what they want on their list. We've spent all of our savings. We have nothing left. We're in debt. And it's sort of like, a well, that was a wonderful time of the year, but I can't handle this, right? So those are the bookend of our holidays. You guys are like, why did I come to church today, right? But isn't that truth? I mean, we got all this stuff coming in, and here's the thing. Right in the middle of it is Thanksgiving sprinkled in. We sort of fly over Thanksgiving, which is probably one of the more, one of the more important ones that we pause and give thanks to God for all that we have. So with all of that coming, what I want to do between now and, and the first Sunday in January, I want us just to take a deep breath, church. I want us just to slow down over the next couple months. And we're going to celebrate the power and the presence of our living God in our lives through each and every one of these holidays. And we're going to talk about pursuing that righteous life, but how to do it with one little nugget each Sunday. Because I really want to enter in this holiday season with love and joy and peace and kindness. I really want all of that. I don't want to be 
running around, my mind being attacked by, I got to get this done. And, and I'm mad at this person because there's five people in front of me in this line. And there's only two people over there. And they told me to get in this line. And then they took my parking spot out in the parking lot. And it's like, man, we are equipped to live a wonderful and fruitful life in the Lord. And so as we pursue this righteous thing, here's, here's what I'm going to say over the next couple months, this wonderful life that we're going to talk about begins with our salvation, that free gift given to us by God. I did not earn my salvation. It was a gift given to us by God, by his grace, his amazing grace, getting what we don't deserve and his mercy, not getting what we do deserve. I have salvation. I'm given the choice. You are given the choice to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And we've encouraged you and we pray for you say, I hope everyone in here has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the people, you're just like, what does it mean though to, to place your faith in Jesus? What does it mean to place your faith in Jesus Christ? And I heard this incredible illustration this past week. Uh, Kevin DeYoung shared it in a little video on Wednesday nights. We have this membership class. And we watched it last week, and I was preparing for it over a week ago. I saw this. I thought this is a great illustration to help you and I understand what does it mean to place our faith in Jesus Christ. So to do so, I want you to think back. Uh, maybe to your childhood as I did for me. I was thinking back when I was a kid, grew up on a farm. We had little water holes and spots, and we had a, a little creek that ran through the back of our property. But we didn't have a big pond. Now, one of my buddies had a big pond, and we'd go over to his house and swim and, and fish and, and just fool around and do what boys do around ponds, right? We had a lot of good times. But during the winter, he loved to ice skate and ice fish on that pond. Me, on the other hand, not so much, okay? Every time I stepped on ice, all I heard was that cracking sound. You know what I'm saying? So for him, he would go out and he would do just whatever comes natural to him. He, this is not a picture of him. This is just give you an idea, okay? He would get out there and he would just skate around and jump around on the ice. He had the fishing shanty out on the pond. And he'd go out there and go ice fishing. And, and, and it, was, it looked like a lot of fun, right? But me, I was nervous, Okay, because I was a heavier kid, and at home on our farm, the this, this, this smaller water um, spots that we had or in the creek, I'd step on the ice, and you hear that, you know what that popping sound of ice is? You're, some of you are like, oh yeah, I heard it way too often. So when he goes out on the pond, and he's just skating around and ice fishing, I'm like sort of easing, tiptoeing my way out there, okay? We get in the fishing shanty, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is, this is horrible because now if I break through the ice, I got a little house covering me, taking me down under as well, right? And then his dad comes out. It's like, now there's a bunch of us out here in one spot. That's a lot of weight in one spot. You know, that's what's going on in my thoughts, right? I, I didn't feel safe or secure. I felt like everything underneath me was just going to crack, okay? Now, let me ask you this question with all that in mind. What makes us secure, what, what, what made us feel secure? Was it my thoughts about the possibilities? Was it looking at what other people were doing on the ice? See, I found my security, you will find your security in the thickness of the ice. See, I, it's the object on which we stand. If I'm on thick ice, okay, I'm going to stand on that thick ice. I'm going to be like a 300-pound hockey player celebrating winning the Stanley Cup, jumping up and down because 
this is solid to me. This is secure, right? But if the thickness of the ice is, is, is really thin and it's cracking, then I'm not going to feel secure. But see, here's the thing. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my thick ice pad, solid from top to bottom. And when I step on Christ, when I step on the ice, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ, on the thickness of that ice, on who Jesus is. He doesn't crack, church. He is solid. And the amazing thing is, some of us as Christians, we don't get that. Some of us as Christians, we feel very solid on our faith, right? And we'll go out and we'll do whatever God says. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve Jesus and I'm going to serve this place and that place. And someone's like, well, I don't know if I can really serve here because I don't know if God can use me and I don't know if I'm able to. Hey, I'm putting money in the offering because I believe I need to give back to God. It's commanded in Scripture. I don't know if I can give back to God because I don't know if my finances are going to be good enough. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to share Jesus with everybody, even my neighbor's dog. I'm a, I can't even wear a Christian T-shirt in public because I'm a little ashamed, right? See, but both of them call themselves Christians. But here's the thing. One, one of these Christians is living on solid ice. They've placed their faith on that sure foundation. You follow me on this? Whereas in another Christian, their faith in Jesus is like they're walking on thin ice. They're not sure if it's going to hold them. That illustration helped me understand a little bit more, made me think, where am I at in my faith? Do I truly believe that Jesus Christ is solid? If I place my faith in Jesus, I'm out on that ice. I'm running around and jumping. I'm not going to tiptoe through my faith anymore. And I believe God's called us to place our faith in him. To be like the guy that's out there just like an... I'm living for Jesus. I'm skating on solid ice. So church, are you following me on this illustration? I hope I didn't lose you. I hope that makes sense. It really made a lot of sense to me. I know this. Jesus is solid. He is worthy to be trusted. Look through the scriptures. Anywhere you look, you're going to see he never lied, never cheated, never failed, never, never blew it. He is the, the perfect God in the flesh, right? So we place our faith in him. Here's the thing then. We receive this free gift of salvation from God. When we receive the grace and the mercy of God, we basically say, thank you for that gift. Forgive me. We seek forgiveness from this holy God and he forgives us and we have this new relationship with God and the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life and dwells within us. This is crazy, but God reproduces himself in us. He places within us the power and the character of God. Think about that. As we read through Scripture and think about it like this, well, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. You know who the Holy Spirit is, don't you? That's God. His character indwells you. His Spirit indwells you. A process of spiritual growth, is, it's called sanctification. Now, growing up in church, there's a lot of big words that's like, okay, Sanctification, glorification, justification, all these occasions, right? Well, there's a couple, two, there's two words that I heard a lot. Justification and sanctification. Church, you need to understand this. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is where you're at, first of all, okay? It means you are declared right with God. 
It's just as if you've never sinned. You've been made perfect. That's justification. Then sanctification is now ongoing with you into the future. Justification. I am right with God just as if I've never said sanctification now is the I am now growing. It is a gradual process of becoming more like Christ. When I look at this, I am legally standing, and you are too, before God in the right position with him. God looks at us in an amazing way. And the best way I could say it is like this. When God looks at you and I, it's like the cross of Jesus is in between you and I. And when God looks at you, all he sees is Jesus Christ and what Christ did on the cross, his sacrifice of love for you and I. And that's how he sees us when we have placed our faith in Jesus. You follow me, church? That's how God sees you. And so we are justified. And now this sanctification process, now God says, I want to make you more like Christ. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to pursue this righteous life. In your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, it says this starting in verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away our sin. So Old Testament, remember, they would go in, they would, into the temple and they would offer sacrifices for the sins and on and on and on and on and on, right? Verse 12. But our high priest, who is Jesus Christ, offered himself to God as a single, that's one time, sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in a place of honor at God's right hand. And there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Verse 14, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect, that's that justification, those who are being made holy, that's that sanctification. goes on to say in verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their heart. I'll write them on their minds. Then he says, I'll never again remember their sins. Amen. And lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. See, Jesus gives us a right standing before God. Then there's a transformation that's taken place within us through the sanctification. We're being made more like Christ. Sort of look at it like this. God adopts us okay, into, into his family because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're adopted into his family. And now he says, I want you to make you more like one of my family members. This is how the family acts. This is how the family works. We're on a constant journey. Sanctification is that process of every day becoming more and more like Jesus. For some of us, it might be a big step. For some of us, it might just be a little inch-by-inch movement. But regardless, there's always growth that should be taking place in the Christian. We're new in Christ. We're empowered by His Holy Spirit. And so within us grows this character and the presence of God. It says this, if you go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Paul describes it like this. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Okay, Christians, listen very carefully. You've placed your faith in Jesus. Now, how do you live? Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing the sinful nature of things. Verse 17 says, the sinful nature wants to do evil. 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit wants to give us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you say you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. It's like that cartoon with the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And they're constantly whispering here, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And you know, you're just like, I don't know, you know, there's a constant battle that's going on is what Scripture tells us. The sinful nature says, do this. The Holy Spirit says, do that. Which one do I listen to? Look at verse 19. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, oh, here's a good idea. Before you make your choice, why don't you check out what happens if you follow it? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, which is greed, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Basically, I've been listening to the devil, making all these choices, and here's the fruit of what happens. All that stuff you just read, which isn't good. See, you listen to the wrong voice, you're going to make that wrong choice, right? Read on. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces... This kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. See, God rescues us from this sinful nature. It's like God says, hey, that little devil on your shoulder, just bing, poke him off. Let him stick to the cross. I'll nail him there. He's done. He has no power over you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him speak into your life. So God gives us what we need. Now, church, listen carefully. We have what we need. We have placed our faith on the solid ground of Jesus Christ. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us everything we need. Now, what's our part? What's called effort. We've got to make an effort in this. We need to engage in this. God saves us, gives us what we need, but we need to understand this. God wants us to succeed. Do you think God saved you so you could fail? Do you, seriously, I mean, do you, do you think that God's rescued you so you could just live a miserable life and be a woe is me person? Absolutely not. Do you ever have that conversation with somebody that says, oh, I, I think... God's not a loving God. I think God hates people. I, don't, I, I think God sends people to hell. Please take them to the scripture. Take them uh, to 2 Peter 3, 9 and John 10, 10. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. Listen to this next part. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God is a loving God. Read it in John three sixteen. Read it through all the scriptures. But God doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody to repent. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to kill, so destroy. But what does Jesus do? He comes to give life and give it abundantly. He wants us to experience a wonderful, victorious life. 
Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Because a lot of time we're sitting there thinking, I can't do what God wants me to do. Yes, you can. Engage in the, in the scriptures. Engage. Stay connected with our Lord, okay? Listen, and make the effort because he's working in you. Scripture is very clear. God gives us a desire and the power to do what pleases us. We know what's right and wrong. And when we make that right choice, we feel good about it. When we make that wrong choice, we know we did wrong. And here's, you know why? Because God's spirit told us what was right and wrong. But it gives us the power to make that right choice. So we make that effort to live that spirit-filled life. Another scripture, John chapter 15. If you turn there real quick. I want you to read this scripture and we're going to wrap it up. Jesus was looking around in familiar agricultural sense, right? And he references vines, branches, and fruit. He's always connecting what was around him with his, with his uh, people he was teaching. Starting in verse 5 of John chapter 15, he says this. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. But when you produce, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. See, to abide in Jesus is to be connected to him, to be in his word. And so church, I ask you, you have, you've, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're standing on solid ground and you have God's spirit in you and you know he wants you to grow and be victorious. But here's the thing. Are you abiding in him? Are you in his word? Are you opening up on a daily basis? Because see, when you open up God's word, God breathes in you. He speaks to you. We pray. We talk to God. But when you get into God's word, God is talking back to us as well. We need to abide in him. As we abide in him, we grow. We're connected to the, the true vine. And I want you to think about this. Like a vine that produces fruit, he is producing fruit in us. I mean, what kind of people do we want to be? Do you really want to be an anxious person? Do you really want to be a depressed person? Do you really want to be an angry person? Because whatever seed is planted, that's what grows. Patience, love, joy, goodness. I love how Paul calls all these out as the fruits of the Spirit because a fruit is evidence. That a seed was planted, that growth took place, and now there's evidence. And that should be the evidence of every believer in Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether it's a plant, an animal, a human, whatever it is, all fruit is produced from some kind of seed. And if there's no seed, there's no fruit. If you're not opening up God's word, you're not allowing the seed to be planted into you. And the seed that is sown determines the kind of fruit that is grown. I want you to think about that. Apples produce apples, oranges produce oranges, cats produce cats, dogs produce dogs, humans produce humans. Whatever seed is planted, that is what has grown. What is being planted into you today? As you open up God's word, are you, first, are you opening up God's word? Are you allowing that seed of his word to be grown in you? 
Scripture says, 1 Peter 1, 23, for you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. God's seed is planted in you and it begins to produce God. Did you hear that? See, when you open up the word and the seed of God's word is implanted in you, you know what is produced? Godliness. Godliness. To me, that is an amazing thing. To get what you want, you have to plant the right seed because seed always produces fruit after its own kind. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As they're coming forward, church, just listen. This is very carefully. If you want love or joy in your life, you have to plant it. If that fruit's not evident in your life, you better check the soil. You better check your heart. If God is in you, love is in you. Is that not true? I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I stand secure in him. God's Holy Spirit is in my life now. And if God is in my life, God is love, right? Is not love in my heart? It is. But for some reason, we have not allowed it to grow. God is in our lives and he wants us to live victorious, wonderful lives. I really believe that. I'm not saying you're going to have all the money in the world. Everything around you is going to be beautiful and it's a, you know, it's like, oh, everything's just falling together. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in the midst of everything that goes on in your life right now, you can still sense the wonderful life of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. You can still find hope and peace and love and joy in your life. You can find the goodness in your life because it's been implanted there and it's growing. Church, would you stand, please? Living for Jesus is never easy, but it is truly worth it. It really is. So as we enter this holiday season, I'm going to, every Sunday, we're just, we're going to go with fruit by fruit. Next week, we're going to talk about love. Oh, it's not even Valentine's, but we're going to talk about love and not the gushy love, but the love of God that's in us and how that love looks like when we live it out. How do we love one another? And we'll continue through the holidays looking at how God says, I've given you a wonderful life. I want you to live a wonderful life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I think this time we've had to worship you in scripture and and song and prayer. God, I pray for this church that as, as we place our faith in you, as we stand solid on you, God, that we can live freely and that we can grow, Lord, in our relationship with you. And we do so, God, by planting ourselves in your word and your word in us. And we allow, God, that, that word, your spirit, to grow within us. We pray for fruit. We pray that as Christians that we stay connected to you, the eternal vine. God, I pray for this church that as we come to know you, we will grow with you and that we can be a witness to others, Lord. God, help us to be the church that you've called us to be. Put on a little bit of Christian attitude and say, you know what? It's time for me to start living for you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this church. 
thy name we pray.